This is Joe Stein, and you're listening to Thoughts from Lean Forward Podcast. Welcome, Chris Corfus from Slow Guy Speed School to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, I understand that you'd like to train. Well, first of all, maybe we should start out by having a little bit of a background on you and how it's led you to your philosophies on the way you train sprinters and you train for speed. Uh, I guess I would start way back a long time ago when I was a middle school slash high school athlete and I was looking to learn how to run faster so I could be a better football player. And the things that I was getting told by coaches didn't seem to be working as well as I had hoped. Um, I didn't run track and I ran track for one year in high school. I was a high hurdler. And unfortunately for my high school, we only had one track coach and he was a distance coach. So he did the best he could uh, with what I had, but I think I just got frustrated because I fell a lot in the high hurdles and that's cinder track days and I'm pulling cinders out of my body all the time. Uh, so I went through, uh, you know, I'm going to lift a lot of weights and see what happens. Uh, I did, you know, my interpretation of plyometrics as a sophomore and junior in high school where there was one book out uh, by Donald Chu and then there was another book from Speed City and, you know, try to interpret that the best that you could. Um, and all the way through college, I was always looking for ways to get better. And, you know, the stuff that we were getting had a lower ceiling than what I had hoped for. Um, I was a GA at Northern Illinois, and we did the Boyd Epley Nebraska Power workout. And that was right about the same time NSCA was starting. So I, we were at the very beginning of that movement. I remember the argument between people who thought we should do, be doing Olympic lifts and those who didn't. Um, Again, there's always going to be something to argue about in the SNC world. Uh, I got a job as a teacher, a high school teacher, and I was in charge of the strength program, and I coached on a football team. And I firmly in the belief that you needed to run faster to win football games at that point. I think everyone agrees to that. And I took what I knew in college, and I learned as a GA, and I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. So I started looking to other places to figure out how to run better. Um, after a couple of years, I, after two years, I, the AD, who was also the head football coach, said, you're going to be the sprint coach on the track team. And I thought, well, I don't know anything about that. So, you know, I had to start looking stuff up. It's not like I had a mentor or someone, you know, I, you could buy a Charlie Francis book or uh, this is pre-internet when I started coaching track. So it was slim pickings, and I started narrowing things down. I bought a old timer and tried to correlate what we were doing in the weight room or as exercises with what kind of results we were getting. And over a 30 year period of time, we've kind of whittled it down to what it is now. Yeah. Um, I know that you don't like to put barbells over your kids backs like you don't squat and you don't do the traditional stuff that most people would do no um I don't I, I you know everyone says I'm not a weightlifting guy I'm not a squat guy and I wrote an article why I don't squat 
and people just look at the title and don't read it. But uh, to me, there was no correlation. I couldn't, I couldn't make it work. And trust me, if it would work and I did get results, it's much easier in life to just go in the weight room and squat weight and hopefully everyone gets faster than you know, going out and doing some of the other stuff that we do. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you just lifted more weight and you ran faster? You know, for some people, I think a minority that may, you might be able to get away with that or to a certain extent. Like if you take a eighth grade or ninth grade kid who's, you know, a string bean and he gets stronger in the weight room, he's going to get, he's going to get some results there. But really what I was looking for is how am I going to, once I get past that, what do I move on to? And I think a lot of people get stuck at that first level is, all right, we got some great results freshman year, you know, throwing some testosterone, some maturation and stuff like that. But what comes after that? You know, why should I be doing the same workout with a senior that I, that they did as a freshman? Yeah. You get to a point where there's uh, diminishing returns where it worked once, but it's not working now. Squatting is kind of a religion for some people and they don't really want to give it up. It's kind of, like they're really oh, it's it's easy to coach um you can see big results kids love to see their squat numbers go up but it, unfortunately that's all they measure yeah just because your squat goes up doesn't mean the speed and performance on the field or the track go up too that's correct um so what do you think about the uh barry ross like brian kula lifting where they like deadlift as much as they can and um, they just go concentric only and they drop it and it's the mass specific force type lifting. Uh, I knew that program because I knew Barry Ross back in the day when he was alive and all of that was starting to come out with Ken Jakalski. Uh, Dan Fickner and I had, had a couple dinners with Barry Ross. Um, you know, if it worked for someone, that's great. It just, if that were true, Jail Holdsworth, who used to hold the world record in, in the power lift, I mean, in the deadlift would be the fastest guy in the world. Yeah. Uh, but we know that. And you can go talk to JL, who's not only held the world record and was world champion, but knows other world record holders in the deadlift. And it's like, yeah, those guys can't run either. And, and I think that's what's interesting about JL is you can – he's going to have a strong powerlifting background. I mean, he's a West side guy, world champion, possibly one of the strongest people in his weight class ever at 275. And, and he kind of saw the light and said, yeah, this isn't, this isn't what you should do. Uh, you go to his gyms in, in Columbus and there aren't a lot of people deadlifting that are sport athletes, you know, whether they get running football or track, whatever they're doing. Um, but you know what, if it works for Brian, that's great. And I know that uh, Barry Ross had Allison Felix for a period of time, and maybe that's exactly what she needed. And really, that's why you want to have all of the exercises that you do or knowledge of those exercises, because they're just uh, a color or a paint or a spice or something that you can add into something to make it that much better. So if you know when to add in something like the bare-powered program and you know the kind of kid that might respond to it then maybe that's what you should use but i think we get so set up on some program or some dogma of what we believe and what and what we hang our head on is that once you've 
stabilized yourself or situated yourself into that into that camp you limit yourself to what you want to do because some ideas may not go along with that idea and you go well i'm just going to discount that because everyone on the internet who's like me thinks that's a bad idea instead of actually trying it you know everyone responds to different exercises differently and that's really the key is to figure out who responds to what and then apply it at the right time oh it's also important to train the eccentric and isometric phases right because I mean, in that program, you wouldn't really be doing that. You're only going up. Yeah. I, yeah, to me, um, I think the isometric and eccentric are much more important than the concentric. Because if you load a spring, the spring is going gonna, is gonna to spring. It's going to extend. Uh, but to not load the spring, you know, you load the spring with, you know, your own body weight to pick up the bar. You know, that may not, uh, that may not do it for some people. You know, I think, I think with bear powered, uh, the Barry Ross stuff, I think girls get a good bang for the buck for that because most girls just aren't that strong. And so as they get stronger, they can, they can do a little bit better. But as far as the timing and the coordination and all the things that the deadlift doesn't do for you, um, you're still missing out on that, on that realm of, uh, or that portion of the sprint. Yeah. I know that you use the, K-Box, what does the K-Box do that normal weightlifting doesn't do? Uh, the K-Box is, it's alive. I mean, you, you understand physics after you put it on because you can feel that sucker pull you down. And the harder you pull up into it or push into it, the harder it pulls you back down. Uh, and that's kind of what happens when we sprint is you have to absorb that extra force and learn how to rebound it. Uh, and that's why I like the K-Box. Um, it, it's more alive than, than a weight. Um, we do some squats. I do a lot of single leg work on it. Uh, I think it's great for the wintertime when I can't get out and run. Uh, but once summertime rolls around and it's warm outside, we're out running. We're doing something where we're running. Yeah. Um, we actually have an old used K-Box. That's the older version, though. Um, so, like, what do you do for, like, sets and reps on it is it kind of depend or do you kind of stay below a certain number uh i really don't have sets and reps i watch to see what the athlete's doing i can if they're slowing down or they're getting fatigued i cut them you know whether it's inside of a set or inside of an exercise uh so it, it could be different it could be different every workout depending on what i see as a coach um what about the isometrics i know you use a lot of Isometrics like split squat ones or, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I love isometrics. I think you can get strong in certain positions and it kind of creates a, a strength that your body can go to. And, you know, if you don't have the isometric strength, you're going to collapse at some point and you're going to create a compensation pattern and lose a ton of power. Uh, which is one reason why I think that that is so important. And I think you get a lot of bang for your buck. Uh, usually kids that do really well in the isometric work usually run pretty well. Um, something that I've actually tried with the K-Box is having someone like stop the wheel with their foot and then just do an isometric pulling into it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Um, but I also like squatting on two and getting getting the the plate spinning really fast yeah. 
And then on like the third or fourth rep, you pick up one leg and you come down on one leg and learn how to absorb it with that one leg. Oh, that's a, that's a neat idea. Um, um, can you maybe talk about the feet a little bit and how it's kind of um, not talked about enough in the athletic world, maybe? What, so what, what do you want? You know, it's a really... Oh, uh, like, um, I don't know, just, just like a brief, basic uh, feet thing. I mean, like how it's important for speed. I know you can talk for a long time about it, but. Uh, well, the, your foot basically is what meets the ground. And a lot happens if that foot is or is not functioning properly. Uh, it's supposed to absorb a lot of energy, a lot of force, a lot of weight. Uh, but if, it, if your foot isn't working properly, you dispel that energy up the chain. And other things are going to have to bend to dampen that energy so you can actually not break your neck when you run. Um, so really having, whether it's isometric strength or eccentric strength in that foot, uh, a functional foot is vital in running fast. Now, just because it doesn't look right or it may not fit some prototype doesn't mean it's not functional. I have a lot of people who tell me they have flat feet, but is it a functional flat foot? And if it is, that's beautiful. I mean, I've seen elite sprinters that have, that don't look like they have an arch. And I've seen elite sprinters that do have an arch. So it all depends on how well it works. Yeah. I, I kind of have a weird, like, hammer toe, like a big bone in my foot on, on one side, but it's like normal on the other side. But I, I think as long as you kind of make it work for you, it's good. But um, everyone wants to just like train the core and train abs and do silly ab workouts but they don't want to train the feet because it is is boring i guess but yeah it's well a lot of people don't understand it they just take it for granted and they'll say well i'm walking aren't i, I said yeah but is that the best way that your foot can function when you walk um isn't there could there be some negative effects of training the abs like you can't i heard caldeed say something one time where like it shuts you down kind of um i think what happens so what cal was talking about was the more you brace and the stronger you get in that brace or, or that plank or whatever position you're in uh, the obliques get so strong that they actually start to pull your rib cage and your hips closer together and the closer they get the less rotation you're going to have and i've seen people who have bone on bone i've seen people who have ribs inside of their hips uh, and it's just not a very athletic position. Uh, you're imploding. So if you're into RPR, you know, that's an imploding state where you've pulled yourself down into that position where an athlete wants to explode and they want to have separation between upper and lower body. I mean, if you're a field sport athlete and you can't separate your upper and lower body, you're not a very good athlete at that point. You may be able to sprint, but you can't separate those two. Would you recommend uh, bracing the core when you sprint? Because a lot of people say that you should, but then he would say to not do that. I would not do that. Um, just because, again, you, there needs to be rotation in your trunk uh, to counterbalance your legs going forward. And you can actually create a lot of power uh, with that twist. Um, so if you brace, you do not get that. That doesn't happen. Um, yeah. 
you're, you're locked down and, you, and you're going to lose a lot of power. What would be the stabilizers kind of then if it wasn't that? Well, I think for a moment, everything co-contracts and stabilizes, uh, but then some things have to let go. When you hit the ground, there's all kinds of co-contractions, whether in your spine, your foot, uh, your quad or your thigh, uh, to, to right, keep everything upright and in the cylinder when you go. But then other things let go so the muscle can actually function. Um, are you a fan, speaking of the co-contractions, are you like a fan of kicking something really fast to train that? Um, yeah, uh, I think Cal had a whole series of videos on the oscillatory isometrics and that is a great, a great tool. Now, again, it's not something you do year round. It's something that you are going to do right before you compete because that's, that's what we're building for. We've built all this power or strength and now we want to learn how to contract and relax as quickly as possible, which is really, according to the Russians, uh, the main discriminator between elite and sub-elite athletes. So uh, let me just get this straight. So like the whole, after you're done with your season, like the off season, you get like a eccentric and isometric base kind of. And then once your season comes around, you just, if you're in track, you just don't go to the weight room, but you just train the contractions yeah that's that's the idea uh you're in the weight room to create a platform or a broader base for what you can do or the potential for more power or force or whatever you're looking to do but then there has, actually has to be a conversion into stepping onto the track and that's where oscillatory isometrics come in all uh, right i know you could talk about this for a while too but you just want to briefly talk about RPR and some of the, some of the great things you've seen from it. Uh, RPR is, well, you took the class. You tell me what you got out of it. Well, uh, it puts you in a parasympathetic state and uh, you, uh, you have these pressure points and it puts you in a parasympathetic state to move and perform at your best. Yes, it's a daily set of drills that allow you to perform at your best and feel your best because you put yourself into a parasympathetic state with your breathing and then with the, with the reset points, uh, you can get muscles to work better. I have a more functional system. So it will prevent, and we can't prevent all compensation patterns, but it basically puts us into the pattern that we want to, to perform at our best, prevent injuries uh, by eliminating those compensation patterns. Uh, do you have any like amazing stories about you know, a hamstring injury or anything that you fixed up? Well, uh, yeah. Uh, I think the most amazing thing is that the number of, you know, not individual stories, but just the number of people that use it now that, that get so much out of it. Um, whether it's better performances, sometimes it's instant performance changes, uh, gait changes, injury reductions. Uh, but I think in this day and age with all the stuff that's going on, just uh, put yourself in a better state where you can relax, you can breathe, you can not be so pressured by everything that's going on in the world today. 
Um, and that's why we're starting to go into schools and things like that, because most kids don't know how to relax. They don't know how to take themselves into a parasympathetic state. Uh, all the social media and all that just drives all sympathetic reactions. Um, and we want to try and stay away from that. And so while you can't tell kids, you can't look at TikTok and all your social media, but maybe you can breathe so you can make better decisions about what you do, what you say, do better in school, all that. Yeah, it's beyond just sports. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that we learned as people who, who started it was we're all sport coaches and then we're starting to realize the huge implications that it has off the field you know in everyday life uh, this weekend we had uh, we taught a class in Columbus and we had a lady who got a stick in her eye and it ripped her eye apart and she had some radical new surgery where she had a lens and a retina replacement but she was still seeing double and just through the vision reset she didn't see double anymore I mean, isn't that awesome? You can just yeah. teach someone that and have a life-changing experience for s some complete stranger. Uh, speaking of the eye stuff, I've heard you talk about like the color glasses, like uh, people running faster because they have a different color. Um, yeah, your body responds to your body really responds to vibration um, and color is uh, a frequency. Everything has a frequency and color has certain frequencies and some people's bodies respond really positively to different colors and respond negatively to some colors. Um, so it's always kind of neat to see what color sets you off. Uh, a good indicator is usually the color if you have a choice to wear what you would like, like we do in these COVID days where you don't have to go anywhere, you can go grab whatever t-shirt you want. Usually the color that you grab that morning is the color that you think makes you feel strong. That's interesting. So having people like jump higher and run faster just immediately after putting those on. Yeah, we've had uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, and you know, it, the, some colors do different things to different people. Like yellow tends to get people to relax. Red tends to amp people up. And just by wearing those glasses, you can have that kind of impact on your performance, uh, which is probably one reason why the NFL got rid of all shaded or tinted visors on helmets. I don't know if they knew the science behind it or, or they thought it was a cheat, but I maybe it's true. I don't know. So it's really it does it is it like a special glasses they have to buy somewhere or can you just look up like yellow or blue glasses on oh, you can get them on amazon i bought mine i think mine are five bucks each they come in a kit um you can do basic muscle tests and things like that vertical jumps put a different pair on and see what your vertical jump is is it like a particular um, brand or is it just, it's just a color. Color is color. Um, there does you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars and get fancy lenses. Uh, a lens that a tinted lens is going to have the same impact. Yeah. Um, do you have any other success stories for like speed growth? Like you took someone that was really slow and made them fast over the years, or how fast did you want them to get? Well, I just, your most ex extreme cases, maybe. 
I don't know. My most extreme cases. Like some guy that was really slow as a freshman became a state champion or something like that. Uh, I don't know if I have those. Um, I just, you know, you try to get people to their potential. Not everyone can be a state champ. Not everyone can be, you know, a conference champ. Um, But I think the real, the real trick is figuring out how you can get that person to their potential. Uh, Some people, you know, someone who's got, let's say, really thick calves and really thick ankles. They're not going to run that fast just from a physics standpoint, because the weight of the shank, which is everything below your knee, is too much from an angular velocity standpoint. And you you can't bring that, you can't snap that through. That's a lot of weight to carry. But to get them to run to uh, run at a speed where they're going to help achieve their dreams and, and accomplish their goals, that's that's really the magic of, of what we do here is if you can be that bridge to someone's dream, the reality to the dream is, is why we do it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's about all I have. If you have anything else that you want to add. No, this is, thanks for having me on. Um, we got a lot more stuff coming with RPR. We've got more levels coming. We've got uh, some exercise videos coming. So we've got some cool stuff coming. And I think TFC, I'm having a meeting with Tony Holler tomorrow. TFC will all be online, I think, this winter. Um, and so you don't have to travel anywhere. You can sit at your house and, and get and go to a TFC. Yeah. So uh, for everyone else, they can go to Track and Football Consortium trackfootballconsortium.com and we've got blogs we've got all kinds of stuff up for people to take a look at you also probably have a website like slow guy speed school yeah my website is slow guy speed school um i haven't updated it in years so yeah there's stuff on there i mean it's got my phone number it's got my email uh it's got what i do Uh, but i don't think i haven't updated in about four years gets to be a pain in the butt yeah (laughs) Thanks for coming on. It's a big deal to have you on. And uh, No problem. Thanks for having me on. Yep.